Hello and welcome to Fails, Falls, and Fuckups. The show that skins your knee for you so that you don't have to put out the effort. Joining me today is Michelle Weiss Maslin, an Emmy Award winning music producer, songwriter, and publisher who, despite having better things to do, is going to talk to me. Michelle, how are you doing today? I am fabulous. I am happy to be here talking to you. Yes, I always have other things to do, <laughs> but it's great. Great to be here. You are very funny. <laughs> well, thank you. That's just the face. Wait till we talk to each other. <laughs> anyway, we're just going to get right into it. You are very successful. And of course, as you know, I don't care about that. I want to hear about your biggest fuck up. So, Michelle, talk to me. <laughs> Well, well, you know, isn't isn't it the, all, everything is a combination of all of our mess ups, right? Yes. Uh, everything, everything. I mean, I teach a course to help people not go through the school of hard knocks that I have been through. So I've been a professional in the music business for 42 years and I have fallen on my face constantly. Yes. <laughs> That's. That's I try to help people so that doesn't happen for them. Right. And then every time I think I've kind of got it covered and I might not fall again, bam, something happens. So it's constant. That's how we grow. I'd like to think <laughs> that is how we grow. But let's go back to a seed from which you had to grow from. So thinking back to your early career, if, if it's possible for you to think back, if you want to think back that long, but 42 years ago, as you're just breaking in, what were troubles? What was something you did back then that you were sort of like, if I could only get a hold of a young me and just maybe slap her for five minutes or cuddle her for five minutes? It depends on what version of slap or cuddle she needs. Well, see, this is where you're probably not going to like my answer. So I don't think that way. I think everything is meant to be in life. Everything is meant to happen. Everything is meant to bring us where we continue to go. And when I look back at my old self, I think she did pretty good. She tried pretty hard. She overcame came all the obstacles in front of her. And then when there were more obstacles, she made it around those. So I don't really look back and want to say to my younger self, you should have done this, wish you would have done that, because I don't. I, I mean, I'm just a product like we all are, what has happened to us and what we've been through. And so... You know, I, I never look at it that way. I just look at it as I want to help others not do something, <laughs> you know. Let's reframe the question a little bit. So as you said, part of life, like the obstacles you encounter in your life are part of what helps you grow and change. So for the sake of the audience, let's have an example of a very big obstacle you had to overcome, what it was, how at the time you felt about it, and then what were the steps you did to overcome it? And out of that, what were the lessons learned? Okay, so I always have to say there's an ongoing obstacle in my life. I am a female music producer. In a field that might be very misogynistic, I'm guessing? There are only 2% of professional music producers who are women. 2% that make a living doing that. As a songwriter, there are only 12% of the professional songwriters who make a living 
are women. But so that's already tiny. But music uh, music producers, 2%. So basically, there, there are none of us. And the obstacles are endless. And because I forget all the time that I'm a female music producer, because I don't think about it. I just think I'm doing a great job. I often run into obstacles and don't get hired for things. When finally thinking about it, it's really probably because I'm female. And I'd say that that is something I keep falling on my face about because I don't think about it. I don't remember it. I just believe in forging forward. But it has happened consistently through my career where I have been passed over because I'm a female, where I've had a collaborator who's a male, and that person has later been rehired by the company that hired me originally, and they X me out of the equation. So yeah, it's a problem. (laughs) I have a question about the male collaborator, because I'm going to make an assumption that even when you work, if when you work with a male collaborator, when this is presented, even if the male collaborator is being absolutely forward about your level of participation, that you do not get the credit that you deserve in that collaboration externally. Yes. A lot of the time. And the interesting thing is most always in the collaboration, especially with my main partner, I am the producer, but they automatically, the powers that be think he is the producer because he is male. And when they find out that all the files are in my hard drive and that I am the producer, I see disappointment often. See, then they're really forced to hire me because they want the production, but they don't really want me. They really want him, but he didn't do it. So I've, I've seen this consistently. It's again, like I'm saying, you know, I'm only thinking about it now because you're asking me, but I don't really worry about it. I don't really think about it. I just do my job. The reason I do want to talk about it and talk about it a little bit more is because I think you've got a great point of view on it. And this drive forward, like, I don't care that I'm a woman. I'm going to kick down that door as often as I have to. I think there's a lot of other female artists, especially anyone who wants to get into the higher level music production to not just be a, a singer or just a singer songwriter, but also a producer or a power player. They need to hear your voice. And you, as you said, you give these classes, you teach all these things, but and even in this forum, that voice needs to be heard. I think that we all have to be empowered by who we are. We all are what we are. Some things we cannot, well, we can change nowadays, but I mean, I am five feet tall and weigh 100 pounds. So as a male, I probably might have a little difficulty in this world if I transitioned anyway. So, but as a small person, I would say that I even, it's even more of an issue because if you are a very tall, big woman, then you become more of a figure of dominance than if you were tiny like me. And the job of the producer is the dominant position. Yes. So, right. And I am very girly and I like to be. And yet, you know, I'm tough. So the juxtaposition of the two. You're a New Yorker. You know how to throw a punch. I'm a New Yorker. Yeah, I'm very tough. I'm very New York. And some people don't appreciate that. And especially when you're tiny and little, they want you to sit there and be quiet. 
you're supposed to be a little doll. Yes. And the fact that it's going to be like, no, here's my opinion. Here's the way we're going to do these things. And you, yes. you are going to sit down and shut up and we're going to do it. They're, they're not expecting that. And you're not supposed to do that, even though. Yes, I've been told I'm very bold many times. Very bold. Oh, that sounds lovely. It's a famous Irish song read. You're very bold. Very bold. And he didn't mean it as a compliment. That sounded very backhanded complimentarily. Oh, the little girl's very bold. Yes. Yes, exactly. So I think that what we should learn from that is just go for it. Just do it. I mean, I have some students who are songwriters just barely starting out and they're in their 70s. Okay. That's awesome. Right? Yeah. I mean, we shouldn't put age limits on ourselves. We shouldn't put gender limits on ourselves. We shouldn't put race limits on ourselves. Nothing. But are they obstacles? Sure. And do they help us fall on our face sometimes? Sure. Because they're, they can try to be in our way. But if we don't allow them to be in our way, then we are good. That's how I see it. I haven't actually had a lot of obstacles. I haven't figured out a way to get around. And those I have, and that's part of what I teach as well is get around that. Don't pay attention to that. And who cares, right? Someone told me the other day, the biggest takeaway they had from our consult was who cares? They were going to put a sign up that says who cares, right? Because who cares? <laughs> you know, just We just have to do it. So I wish, I wish I had a better answer for you of really specifics of what's happened. I mean, sure, like I've signed contracts before, before I was educated, where I signed something stupid. But looking back, I'm not upset about that either, because now I'm able to help other people and say, yeah, I so know that I shouldn't have done that. I found that clause because I found I signed it. That was done. When you got your first opportunity to work as a producer, how did you wrangle that for yourself? My first one was with a film called Car 54. Where are you? Fred Gwynn. 1990. Yeah, but not that one. This was the, right. the remake. But yeah, that was amazing. The original. The, well, the, the remake was fantastic, too. So it, it was a feature. And I wrote and produced the, the song that was actually the character theme for Fran Drescher's character in the film. It's called The Girl of My Dreams. And Sam Moore from Sam and Dave recorded it. And I produced him. And he had recorded a song of mine previously for another film, but I didn't produce that. So it was 1990 was my first production. And it was incredible. It was incredible to be given the opportunity. And I, I, don't, I think I took it for granted in a way because I always produced my own music. The recording, the demo, I produced it. So it was a natural progression because a lot of times people didn't want to go find an outside producer. They wanted to find the producer who produced what they liked to reproduce it and get the real artist on it. So that was my first one. It was very, very exciting. Yes. And Sam was amazing. And at one point he said to me, I know it doesn't sound exactly like you wanted to yet. And I'm thinking I am a little pisher and I can't even answer that because you know, <laughs> You're a legend, and I. this is my first production. So there we have it. It came out great. I'm curious, speaking of uh, not necessarily coming out the way you want it, as an artist, 
what is your relationship with um perfection so you're 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 writing the song you're going to produce the song you have a vision in your head for the song how often does the, the end product not necessarily match what you have in your mind and to what degree do you work towards trying to get it there and at what point do you just go i need to move on to something else so we're wrapping this up and calling this good at this point i often work on deadlines so i often have to work very quick but i'd like to think that my vision is accomplished usually what happens is i might think oh i wish the kick drum were louder or the snare were louder or maybe the bass was quieter but then when i listen a year or two later it sounds great so i'd like to think that I have learned when something is finished. I've learned how to do it in a good, timely manner. And I'm pretty good about not just stopping and not finishing it. There are times when what happens is it sounds amazing on the outside and I have to turn it in. But really, I need to go back and clean the tracks up because maybe if I isolated the vocal track, you would hear a bunch of comps and, and noises and breaths because maybe that got sacrificed. I didn't have time to do that, but I will. When I have to deliver all the individual elements, the stems, I will do that. So that I would say is the only top place I compromise is sometimes I'll rush through that rather than cleaning everything perfectly before I deliver it because I don't have, I run out of time. So that happens. But pretty much when I write the song, I hear the production in my head. I already have the vision of how it's going to sound. And then sometimes I work with some amazing musicians who come in and they improvise something and that changes a little bit the parts that are going to be in there. But I do believe that I've already have the vision because I've created it. And so, yeah, I, I don't think I sacrificed to do that. I know when it's done, you know, and that's something I, I express and teach to people and mentor to people too, is they ask all the time, how do you know when it's done? Well, eventually you just have to know it's done. Eventually you could sit there in the studio, right? For a year and make something louder and something softer and put more reverb on something. But eventually that's part of experience. I think you just learn. At some point, you've got enough cowbell. Right. You've got enough cowbell, right? We all want more cowbell, but you know. Did you always have an innate sense of like, okay, here's where it's complete? Or was that one over a series of experiences? I always have had an innate idea of when it's done, but I'm not always so sure it was the right decision. As the experiences continued, I got better at that. But right now I'm licensing a lot of my so songs from the beginning, which was my first recording in 1979. And uh, there's so much call for an 80s music now that when, and when I listen to them, they sound great. Like, it's amazing, really, that, that some of them don't. But for the most part, you know, and I had a, a writing partner I've had for 42 years, Larry Treadwell, and we're, we've been baking tapes lately like baking the old tapes and trying to salvage the them and transferring them to digital so that we don't lose all our work. And it's pretty amazing 
how much we were able to do with four tracks and eight tracks and a 16 track one inch and how, how everything sounds great. I listen, I listen to other music and I hear what's going on and you might think it sounds terrible. So you're right. You know, your ears might not think it sounds great, but my ears, they're happy with it. As a kid who came out of the metal scene as a teenager, if it wasn't music that I was into, it sucked. So one of the maturing things that had to happen is kind of come to the realization, look, you not liking something doesn't equate to a quality thing. It's just this didn't speak to you. So I try not to talk about things in terms of what I like or what I don't like. And I now frame things. Well, that style of music doesn't speak to me because I can appreciate the artistry and also the crafting of it. So but I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I actually sang in a heavy metal band in Tucson, Arizona. Tucson. And I, I sang I sang Back in Black every night and I did four to six sets a night. And I sang Back in Black like that every night for and I I um I inherited the band from a guy. I became the girl singer, but he was a guy. So I sang all the songs and the Green Man Alici and like all that stuff. And I Please tell me you please, 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 please tell me that somewhere out there in a way that I can get my hands on, there is a version of tiny five foot, 100 pound you singing either Iron Man, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath or War Pigs, please. No, none of them. You raised my hopes and then you dashed them on the rocks. Yeah, there is some recordings from that band, though, that do exist. That was in 1979. But I I definitely did that every night. So I do have some recordings from it. And I was not a metal fan at all. I stumbled into the band and I was just wanting to sing anything, anywhere. And the band had gigs and we got paid. So, yeah, I for sure did your style of music and learned it. And the first thing I produced was a soul song because um, Sam Moore is a famous legendary soul singer. So I did a lot of R&B that I had learned how to do. And I did a lot of performance art, weird stuff like Bjork, who didn't, he wasn't even born then. But I mean, I love all kinds of music. So I just learned how to make it. If, and I get hired now to create in genres I might not be the most familiar in, but I listen to it, hire the right musicians and and just get the job done. Yeah, it's fun. So at this point, as a songwriter, I can pretty much come to you and go like, OK, what I now need is a sort of cross between Slayer and Daft Punk. <laughs> and I wanted to have a little bit of a Norwegian feel with Gregorian chant sort of thing in the center. I need it in three to five weeks. Here you go. And you can just go like, okay, all of these pieces need to be put together and focus on it. And in five weeks time, we would have that song. Yeah. And usually I don't get five weeks with the other last week. I got five days, but yeah, for sure. Um, if I had five weeks, that would be awesome. And, and yeah, I can totally bridge that for you. Now, if you like it or not, like we were talking, you were talking about what you like, if you like it, that's subjective. But can I create that for you in my feeling of what that would be? 
Yes, for sure. Yes. And that would be super fun, actually. Those were cool parameters. <laughs> now, out of curiosity, being a high level, I mean, Emmy award winning is about as high level as it's going to get musician and music producer and whatnot. When you are on when you are on your off time. Do you relaxate to music or what is what is your I need to turn my brain off for a while thing? How do you? I rarely get any downtime. So when I'm sleeping. Perfect. When, yeah, I just am working nonstop. I have for decades. But when I have some d- actual downtime, no, I don't want to hear any music. I don't want you to put it near me. Aside from laying there with like a wet towel over your eyes and gently moaning to yourself, <laughs> when you do have this theoretical downtime, what what do you do? Is it I go to movies? I play board games. I paint. I swim. And I sit in the hot tub and read magazines, which is also working, that part. But I swim. Yeah, swim lots. So you've proven that you can basically take whatever musical ingredients and make a stew out of it. What is it like to be to be able to go like, yes, here's your here's your classical piece. Here's your contemporary pop piece. Here's your death metal piece. And then here is your Tibetan throat singing piece. I collaborate with a lot of people. So not necessarily always writing, co-writing. Sometimes I write alone. But I, the musicians that I bring in and the singers that I bring in, I make sure are experts in the genre at hand. So that way I'm authentic and I have the correct vibe. And I listen. I pay attention to what is that genre of music doing? What is going on? Now, a lot of, of people that hire me, like I was on the music team of Guiding Light, the soap opera, for 18 years. And on that show was a constant variety of music where I was asked, do I have this? Can I make that? Some strange genre. You know, so to them, I was an asset because I could do that. But recently I spoke with someone who has a music library and they didn't, they don't, they don't like the answer of, I can do all genres. What do you need? They don't like that. Is that unusual? No, it's a 50-50. Some people don't like that answer. They want you to say, I do Latin music. I do Russian classic music. I do Spanish bolero. I do... They don't want to know you can you can do many genres because they think it's not cor- true. They think that you're not good at it and you have one specialty or maybe two and they don't like that. Although other people think it's that's so great that you're such an asset. So one company particularly didn't like it and they get upset about it. Like they think that you're an imposter. Do they not hire you? Do they fire you? Is it like, what's the end result? Or No, it's just, it's just a discussion. You know, so basically one needs to come up with, okay, hire me for this. Hire me to do EDM dance music. I like to do that. Good. You know, it's, it, it, some people don't like it. But again, that, that it, it, you can't really read that. So it's a little difficult. And if I go through all my credits, I have 
placements and songs recorded by major artists in many genres. But for some reason, some companies like to pigeonhole you and they don't like to know you can do other things. Yeah, it can be difficult. Under those circumstances, are you strategic about what you present? Because, okay, this there's this um, company and they, for the most part, in their movies and their TV shows, they lean more towards this genre. So I don't like that you do all these different musics. What music is your milieu, actually? Well, funny you should ask. It's that. It's that thing that you want done. Right. So they don't, sometimes some people like that and some people don't like that. So basically what one does is they listen to what's, what the, that person that they're serving has used. So if I'm going to work with, I'm going to pitch music to you right now. I know you like heavy metal music, so I'm probably not going to send you country music, right? I'm probably going to think I would be best serving you with heavy metal music. And I'm going to send you some samples of what I have. So that's usually I'm going to do research on the person that I want to work with and what they're using, actually. Right. But then, of course, when you look at some music supervisors, they have worked on projects in multiple genres of music. And then when we look at some A&R people, they have artists who span different genres. So it's a difficult um, difficult thing to discuss. You know what I mean? You have to be careful. Sometimes you, like you're saying, you can burn a bridge because you're, you do too many things, but we can't worry about that. Can we? We can't please everybody. Did it take you long to develop your ability to have what I will call difficult discussions, especially coming into the music industry as a young lady, oftentimes, certainly when dealing with artists, having the difficult discussions about expectations about the business side, trying to talk about money. Was that a bit of a learning process or were you good at it from the start? Oh, you mean if I'm, if somebody's negotiating with me who wants to hire me or do you mean if I'm writing or with an artist? In which sense? Even though there are different discussions, it's still the same mechanism of we need to go over the business side. Now, at this point, I am certain that you are well-seasoned and you could sit down in a negotiation without so much as blinking or having a drop of sweat. I would bet that if you're like most of us, you didn't start that way. Okay. So I see what you're saying. So I actually had a discussion today with somebody who's hiring me for something just about this subject. So I have found in most of my career that I'm being presented with the specs. I prefer if they present me with the terms, right? When I have to present for the terms, then it's more difficult. So I would rather be presented with, this is how long it's going to take. This is how much we're going to pay. This is what the terms are. If it's worldwide in perpetuity forever and ever and every kind of media known. I like when they tell me and we discuss. And I, so I had to learn though, of course, what those things are in the business. I had to learn all the terminology. And of course, when I started, I knew nothing. So I, I actually, that's why I teach a course is because I'm teaching everybody all about this terminology that I know and all about everything I've learned because I did not know these things, right? And I would sit in a meeting and I would no idea what they were talking about. And when I got my first publishing deal, which was in 1990, because I had a hit song and I had $9 in the bank and a car that was the road warrior with no hubcaps. Perfect. 
yeah, oh yeah, I was right on. You know, I I knew nothing, and I was sitting in this meeting with a major publishing company, and they're all talking like five people, six people in the room, and they're discussing what they're going to do for me and do with me and what I'm going to do, and on and on. I had no idea what they were talking about. Finally, one of them said, "Don't you think we really ought to tell her we want to sign her?" And I knew nothing. You know, I I also knew that I had a friend who was a signed writer to a publishing company, but I had no idea what she did. Like, I really didn't understand because I really wrote songs mostly for myself in my band, which was performance art and completely weird. And I really didn't know anything. So it was definitely, like you're saying, I had to learn as I went along. And of course, like, like, okay, falling on my face, like I had to learn, like I, they gave me a check and it was so big that when I took it to my bank, because I only had $9, they wouldn't even put a hold on it and deposit it. But I had no idea what put a hold on it meant. I had no idea why they wouldn't take my money. I mean, so I'm learning little bits. I, then I had to go get a cashier's check. I had no idea what a cashier's check was, but I learned what that was. And then I have course signed this publishing deal document and I had no idea what it meant. And I had a lawyer who came on board, who was also kind of my manager and he helped me with it. But when I read it now, right? Like I read it recently, there were really interesting things in it that I know everything about what it's about now. I understand the contract completely. But when I read it, it was really lucky that there were a lot of things in my favor because I had no clue. And then the next deal I signed, I had no clue. And it wasn't as much in my favor in some terms, but I had no clue. But now, of course, I know all that stuff. So now when I teach, I fast track everybody 40 years because I'm teaching them all the stuff that I've learned about how to negotiate, how to make money, what they're going to pay, what the terms mean, what what happens when these things happen and how to license a song. So yeah, you're absolutely correct. That's where I fell on my face every single time because I was learning by doing. Yes. And I, I think I got pretty lucky for a lot of the cases that I wasn't, that it was on the up and up because it could not have been and I wouldn't have known. Yeah, that first time really could have been a horror show had they not been treating you fairly. Yes. And, and they treated me very fairly, actually, and, and better than the second time where I still was learning. And the second time it wasn't, the contract wasn't as good. But the interesting thing about the second time was that I had a reversion where I got all my songs back. But I didn't find out until 20 years later because I never assumed that and I never reread the contract until 20 years later. And now... Well, that was 20 years ago. But then as a person who knew stuff, when I read the contract, I said, really? Wow. I could have had all my songs back 19 years ago. But I didn't know. It's great because now, like, we learned so much stuff. You know, we can't get upset. People always say, well, well, are you upset that happened to you or this happened to you, right? But like I like talking to your younger self, but no, I'm not upset. I learned a lot of stuff. I'm able to help a lot of people. And so many things have happened. You know, like 
I've been through everything, every bad deal, every everything. There's a lot to be said also about even with things that were negatives and either viewing them as a learning experience or specifically letting them go. Because one of the major emotional traps that I've found, certainly for members of my family, is a negative thing will happen and it haunts them. They don't necessarily learn from it, but worse than that, they also can't get beyond it and it tends to color the rest of their lives, which you did not let happen to you in any way, shape or form. No, no. I mean, that, and the, that does happen for people all the time. It leaves them stuck. And in terms of artistry in the music business, right? I've worked with some artists who've been so afraid to sign the papers, the paperwork, that eventually nothing happens for them. And I see it as just sign it, just do it. It's not going to kill you. And it'll probably be just a few songs or some body of work. And it's not going to be usually forever. And get someone to help you read it. And just you have to go for things because if you're always so wary of everything, and like you're saying, it keeps you stuck. And so many people I know have gotten old by not signing anything and being so afraid of signing anything or releasing their music. They're afraid people are going to steal it. They're afraid all kinds of stuff, you know, and that doesn't really help us in life get ahead. So, no, I don't let anything stop me and I don't let it bog me down. And if somebody doesn't like me and doesn't want to work with me, I don't care. And that's their prerogative. and you know, whatever. Like, I, I, I think that there's so much work to go around if we're empowered, all of us, to just move forward and not get stuck. Because like, like you're saying, I mean, I know so many songwriters who they get stuck. I have one student who she had like hundreds of songs with a collaborator who just has encumbered the songs completely, won't let her pitch them, won't let her do this, won't let her do that. She didn't have any paperwork so that she could. And, you know, it really kept her stuck for years. But now she has let go and she is writing all this new material. She's just forget about that old stuff. And she's doing amazing things. So, right, if we can just, you know, let go. I have lots of songs that are basically stuck with publishers and stuck with song co-writers and I can't use them. And all right, that's life. You know, I learned, I learned now not to, how to get it, not to let that happen again, hopefully. And I think that's a great lesson to learn. As we go into a wrap up, is there any other lessons you would like to impart? No. The lesson is there is no lesson. Yeah. Just, just go for it. Just, just, learn but i'd say education is key people people right now there's a lot of ways to get educated people go to seminars constantly they go to panels every every organization has a panel on this and a panel on that but the problem is you don't really get educated with the basics you just sit in those panels and you don't know what's going on it goes over your head so i think we're just artists and we're going, oh, I'll let my manager take care of that. Oh, I let my publisher take care of that. Oh, my business manager pays all the bills. This is not good because then we're always going to get taken advantage of, right? Like even Oprah, Oprah says she signs every single check. Like she looks and signs and knows what's going out of her company. Now, right? Most people in her position would never do that. That's millions of checks. She's paying attention. Well, that's what I believe we have to do is know our business, be educated, 
understand the basics of music publishing. We can't just know nothing and be sending our songs out because then we're not going to be empowered and not going to get anywhere. And if we leave it to all those people, they're going to take advantage of us because we're not going to understand. And so that's what I would probably leave with is make sure you understand your business. Make sure, right, that... It's the music business. Business. Right. I always say that it's not music art. It's music business. Exactly. It's music business. And But on the other hand, if we want to make music for our own souls, that's just as valid. Like music isn't more valuable because it makes money. Music is just as valid if it's for your heart and your soul. So if you don't want to do it for a commercial venture, that's totally fine. But if you want to embark into the music business, then you have to learn the business. You have to be prepared to skin your knees. You have to get up and brush them off and keep going and not let anything get in your way. What I would like to do is offer you this opportunity to just shamelessly plug yourself. Oh, shamelessly plug myself. Well, if I would shamelessly plug myself to the powers that be, I have loads of cool music. Love for you to license them. Share. You are my idol. I want you to record one of my songs. There's my plug to share. As for the course that I teach, I will plug that. I teach a course that's 16 classes, takes you from soup to nuts. It's called From Song to Sync and More. And it's all about music publishing, music creation, licensing, contracts, royalty statements, royalties, everything that's needed for one to know to pitch and place their music, be it in media like syncs or be it with artists, like having cuts with major label artists. I teach all about how to do that in a very step-by-step hand-holding manner where I care so much and want to make sure my students succeed and they're all succeeding and that course can be hopped on at any time and so that is my little shameless self-promotion i guess there we go what's the website for it the website is actually sweetersongs.com that is my website but there's not a website for the course because the course is a private course where you can't take it on the web but you can contact me and send me an email or contact me on LinkedIn or Facebook in a private message. And for sure, I'm always answering. 